Coming up on today's show, we've got the author of Deadly Coast, R.E. McDermott. We talk about a really cool way to teach your child under four how to read. The Padre does this, and I do this. It's crazy, and it's all coming up next. Book Guys Show is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free book just for trying them out for one month. And by Squarespace. There has never been an easier way to make your own website. Go to bookguys.ca slash squarespace and try them free for one month. And by freehollowbooks.com where they give away a free hollow book every month. Sir Jimmy makes them in the USA. Back again, gentlemen, the Book Guys Show, talking about books, audiobooks, audio dramas, podcasts, all kinds of stuff. I am Paul Alves, of course, joined as always by a great panel of book lovers, authors, book aficionados, all kinds of people and things and in- inanimate objects. Jo- <laughs> joined, of course, this week, Father Robert Balliser. Once again, how you doing, Padre? Uh, I'm pretty good. It's it's getting hot in D.C. I, someone forgot to tell them that summer's not supposed to be here yet, so... Eh. <laughs> Are you all done yeah. your uh, your Pope tour? Is that over? I think I'm done with the Pope tour. Although, the stand by, stand by, just in case. <laughs> we you never know. <laughs> and remember, folks, if a red smoke comes out the top of the Vatican, that means Father Robert Balliser has just become Pope. <laughs> it's possible now he would be the second Jesuit. Just saying. <laughs> And if it's blue smoke, it normally means I just blew something up electrical. It's just that's how it works. <laughs> and of course, joining us not only a priest, we have a professor. Professor Allen, how you doing, sir? Welcome back. Good. Did you call me an aficionado? And is that an insult? Do I need uh, to Google that? I'm not sure. We'll have to Google it. <laughs> and gentlemen, of course, joining us today, author R.E. McDermott. Bob, how are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Uh, Bob, usually we start the show off now by getting right in to the week's book news, and we might as well do it again. Book news. Oh, gentlemen, Margaret Thatcher's biography, Not For Turning, is being released next Wednesday, coinciding with her funeral. Thatcher's funeral next Wednesday will coincide with the publication date of her biography, expected to become an instant bestseller. Not For Turning, the first volume of Charles Merle, first volume, there's going to be more than one volume, apparently, <laughs> is likely to fly off the shelves, of course, within hours of the ceremony at St. Paul's Cathedral. You know, what, what blows me away about this news is there must be an angle that someone can take just to write biographies that are ready to release upon the death of any celebrity slash public figure. That's kind of macabre if you think about it. Pretty much. In other news, Penguin and Random House have had their merger approved by EU regulators. The publishers have been given the go-ahead to merge in the United States of America. Clearance is yet to be given in markets including China and Canada, although no one really buys books in either of those two places. (laughs) (laughs) Hillary Clinton writing a memoir of her time as Secretary of State. Satan herself? 
<laughs> All but confirming her upcoming run for the presidency in 2016, with news that she's in the middle of writing a memoir of her time as Secretary of State. The memoir, her fifth book, would be released in 2014, just in time for the Iowa caucuses, I believe. Yes, yes. That could be an interesting book. Yeah, her fifth book, mind you, I haven't read any of the first four. Just saying. <laughs> hey, one of the leaders of the team that built the first Kindle speaks out in his new book. Jason Murkowski tells it all in Burning the Page, the ebook revolution and the future of reading, which came out yesterday. In the book, Jason says, I think we've made a proverbial pact with the devil in digitizing our words. He also writes that Big Brother won't be a politician, but an, an ad man, like, you know, like madman, you know, he'll be like a Don Draper <laughs> and uh, that he'll have the face of Google. Jason doesn't play it safe either in this one. He apparently also takes a few jabs at Amazon as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, screaming Me Too, Me Too, Me Too, Barnes & Noble has launched its own self-publishing service. They're launching their Nook Press. It's a self-publishing service positioned to compete against Amazon's Kindle Direct Publishing. The only question is, who's going to flock to the Nook? <laughs> me Too, Me Too. <laughs> uh, you know what? I have a jingle from another podcast that applies here. Here we go. What do we want? To occupy. And what's that? Whatever we want. Occupy! 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 Occupy. Uh, New New York City has settled a lawsuit over the removal of the Occupy Wall Street Library. A settlement was announced yesterday in a lawsuit filed over the 2011 seizure of the People's Library at the Occupy Wall Street site in Manhattan's Zuccotti Park. Uh, NY City and Brookfield Properties agreed to pay more than $230,000 U.S. to settle the lawsuit filed last year in the U.S. District Court in Manhattan, according to attorney Norman Siegel. The settlement calls for the city to pay $47,000 for the loss of the books, I mean, there were some classics in there, and $186,000 in legal fees. <laughs> wow. And uh, about $16,000 will come from Brookfield, the owners of Zuccotti Park themselves. So a little bit of a win for the poor guys who had their library dismantled and burned. Big win for the lawyers, sounds like. <laughs> yeah. By poor guys, you mean legal team. <laughs> hey, we move gentlemen from books all the way to books on film and television. Books on film and television. Uh, the BBC plans a whaling drama based on the tale that inspired Moby Dick. He was a little-known 14-year-old sailor whose brutal ordeal aboard a whaling ship in the early part of the 19th century helped inspire Herman Melville's classic Moby Dick. But now the experience of the Nantucket seafarer Thomas Nickerson are, the rece are to receive the recognition they deserve with a 90-minute drama called The Whale, which begin, uh, begins filming in Malta this week. Arrow continues to be the CW's most-watched show, for whatever that means. The premiere episode was the network's highest-rated debut since The Vampire Diaries in 2009, also a book series. And the comic book-based show has continued to deliver solid ratings. It has been renewed for a second season. Fantastic. And Padre, why don't you take the first story here in... Comic books, comic books, comic books. I'd be thrilled to. Now, if you like comics, fantastic. If you like sex, well, you're probably a man. If you like comics and sex, <laughs> you can't get it on your iOS device anymore. That's right. iTunes and Comixology have temporarily dropped Saga number 12 over sexual content. On Tuesday, comic writer Brian K. Vaughn posted that issue 12 of his hit series, Saga was rejected by Apple due to explicit content and would thus be unavailable within any of Comixology's iOS apps. Now, Comixology has responded to the criticism by pointing out that it was in fact them, not Apple, that did the dropping. 
The company said that it misinterpreted Apple's terms of service, which led them to remove Saga number 12, just number 12, and that the issue would be made available again through its in-app store. We'll talk to the uh, gentleman from Comixology in uh, two weeks from now when they're on the show about this for sure. Absolutely. And right. Guardians of the Galaxy, number one, tops the March sales charge in comic books. And that is a sentence that no comics reader would ever have expected <laughs> to hear. But proving that movies are indeed driving the comic book bus, the debut issue of Marvel's new title featuring Disney's next movie super team, film due out next year, outsold every other comic book last month. And that's the news, as they say. I should have a pencil like uh, David Letterman throw over my shoulder. That's the news. <laughs> Uh, we're going to be talking with Bob Ari McDermott, the author, in just a second. But I'm going to take a little bit of time out right now to just remind uh, all of our authors and constant readers that listen that the easiest way that you can make a website, the way the bookguys.ca makes their website, the way that my personal company, sterlingpostprint.com, makes their website is through Squarespace. And you can check them out for free. Go to bookguys.ca slash Squarespace. And you don't even need a credit card. You can try them for 30 days. If you know how to use any of these drag-and-drop software like Word or Excel, you can, you can use Squarespace. I mean, you can literally drag pictures into the gallery. It's great. Check them out, Squarespace, at bookguys.ca slash Squarespace for a whole month. And gentlemen, we are joined today by Bob Robert R.E. McDermott, the one and only. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Very well, very well. I know we've all been listening to... Uh, to your books, I actually I listened to I was listening to uh, Deadly Coast, right? Which is the the first in this series particular series. I know you're, you're uh, most actually it's the book. opposite. Deadly Coast is the second. Deadly Straits is Deadly the first. Straits, right? Yeah. There you, you go. You scared me for a second there because I just got into Deadly Straits. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <the> order. <laughs> so yes, I was listening to the sequel, and I got to yeah. go back to the prequel. I'm doing it all in reverse order because I'm crazy like that. Well, in actual fact. Uh, they're both standalone stories, and you can you can read either one of them first. Uh, Deadly Straits kind of introduces the characters, but it doesn't really matter which which order you start. Yeah, in. you know what? And that's maybe why I was confused because it didn't seem like a sequel. I mean, I was I thought it was a standalone. It was yeah. So I'm hoping no, you, you're going to write a third one now because I was looking forward to the sequel to this one. Yeah, well, yeah, I've got one in progress. So tell, tell us a little spoiler, uh, spoiler, spoiler. Careful. <laughs> 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 Tell us a little bit about uh, the story of your most recent book. Uh, the Deadly Coast? That's right. Uh, Deadly Coast is the story of uh, a guy named Tom Dugan, who's my protagonist in both of the books, who is a uh, marine consultant, marine engineer. Uh, and he's basically uh, uh, upper management in a, in a London shipping company run by his best buddy, Alex Kairos. And their ship's... One of their ships is hijacked by Somali pirates. And there's a whole lot of the political side of the Somali piracy thing that a lot of folks don't realize about. You know, they always say, well, why don't you arm the merchant ships and so forth? And in actual fact, you can't. I mean, merchant ships can't carry arms in most countries. It's, Ill it's illegal. So basically it's about the government, you know, kind of taking a hands-off policy and he gets fed up with it and kind of starts his own rescue mission. And it's uh, kind of the, the way I'd like to see it happen if, if, you know, if I was in that situation. So, <laughs> and I did have a little bit of background in that is when I was in Singapore in uh, 2006, I was, uh, took a ship through shipyard for, for an owner uh, doing supervising the repairs. And 
got to know the crew pretty well after about a month in the yard. And about two months after it left the yard, it was hijacked by Somali pirates. And they held it for four months. And they wow. treated the guys horrendously. I mean, burned them with cigars and uh, called their families on the cell phones and told them that the company didn't care anything about them. And, you know, to try to put the pressure on them. Uh, it was finally released after uh, undisclosed ransom, but I think it was in the neighborhood of three or four million dollars. So. It, wow. it makes things a lot different if you actually know the people. They're not just numbers, you know. I mean, you, you knew the people, and you've broken bread with them, and, you know, it's... Well, what's your anyway. background, Bob? What's your background? Uh, I mean, obviously, reading the book, I know that you have a lot of knowledge of, of, you know, seafaring. I'm assuming you were a sailor at some point or involved somehow. Yeah. I, uh, I grew up on the Texas Gulf Coast. I uh, uh, did some, you know, worked some fishing boats when I was a kid, and... Uh, I went to the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy in Kings Point, New York, and graduated. And I was a ship's officer for four or five years. Um, got married, decided to come ashore, went to Charleston Naval Shipyard for a year, worked for the Navy in the nuclear submarine program, then left that and went to work for a couple of different oil companies as ship superintendent, and left that and kind of hung up my own shingle as, a, as an independent consultant and got involved with shipbuilding and built Built about uh, 15 ships, I guess, over That's That's 15 more than I've ever built. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's pretty much my background. Roughly 35, 40 years in the marine industry and sailing or ashore. I've read the first first one, Bob, Deadly Straits, and and thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, that that novel, uh, one of the things that impressed me was the, the... just the epic scope of it. So many countries, so many uh, different locations. Uh, how much of that was sort of from real life experience that you've been in Singapore? Sort of where, where else around the world have you been? And or, or uh, how much of that was local knowledge, and how much of that was pure fiction? Uh, I've been to pretty much every place except Chechnya. I've never been to Chechnya uh, or Iran, uh, but uh, it was kind of a Kind of a combination. I know Singapore quite well for the better part of a decade. Uh, and the other places I've visited, either taking a ship through a shipyard or calling on the, you know, calling in the ports. I've been through the Bosporus and the Panama Canal probably half a dozen times and so forth. So, yeah, it was, I didn't really have to research the, the shipboard or the marine industry part of it. I had to research the, the espionage part of it. Uh, uh, <laughs> Because, uh, you know, it's it's not quite as uh, not perhaps quite as interesting as glamorous people people think. <laughs> you know, uh, you you've just answered a question that I've had when I was going through your your uh, deadly straits, and that is any good. I'm going to use a, a term, Tom Clancy esque uh, mm-hmm. novel is going to have elements of of the you know suspense action thriller, but it also has to be. A pretty damn good documentary. There has to be enough meat. Uh, you know, the, the author needs to know enough to to really paint that picture. And and now that you've told me your your background and your history, it makes total sense why why I'm I'm so attracted because you do really paint a, a vivid picture of of what life is like aboard, of what life would be like moving port to port to port. That's uh, and now it it makes sense why you know all that. Well, I'm I'm grinning because. Uh... My first draft, I painted the picture somewhat too vividly, and as my <laughs> wife was reading it, and you know, reading the 12-page description of the 
interior structure of a ballast tank, she said, boring, boring, boring. <laughs> Nobody wants to know this, you know. So just kind of as an aside, the, the first horrible draft was almost 400,000 words, <laughs> three and a half wow. to four times longer than what you read. And, you know, I, I'd inflict another draft on her, and she looked at me, and she'd say, well, better, but you just really got to cut some more of this crap out. <laughs> but don't, don't throw that away. Don't throw that away. I, I remember uh, Tom Clancy, he had so much of this research left over after his first couple of novels that he released a couple of books, one on submarines, one on fighter planes, and one on military ships. Uh, and basically, that was just all his recycled research, all the stuff, as, as you put it, that was just too descriptive for the, the fiction into a documentary book. Uh, and it sold actually quite well. <laughs> so you're just ahead of the that's game. A th- that's a thought. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I, I will read a 12-page description of a ballast tank. I would do that. But I, but I am a geek. <laughs> well, I'll send you my notes. <laughs> it's funny, you know, I, after I kind of got into the writing and started you know, learning a little more what I was doing, I was reading some things about research, and, you know, you, lose, you use about 10% of your research. I mean, you have to know what's all there so you can just drop a little hint here and a hint there and kind of let people know what's going on without getting too bogged down. But uh, if you go chapter and verse and start putting some of the stuff in, I mean, people are just going to tune you out, you know. But doesn't it kill you? I mean, when... When you've got that work in there, and it, it's, it's, it came from that deep place within you, from your personal experience, and then you have to admit, you know what, I'm the only one who's, who wants to read this. Doesn't that yeah. hurt? It does. I mean, it, it, well, case in point, it took 13 drafts to get, at, well, 13 complete revisions to get deadly straights from topping 400,000 words to just a hair over 100,000, and... Every time I would cut out a big swath, I would, you know, I'd kind of move it over into another file, and I kept looking back at it, <laughs> trying to drag it back in, you know. Man, you'll be, bury it in the backyard, have a little service yes. for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there's, yeah, you start thinking, there must be another point at which I could drag this back over. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll make a new chapter. <laughs> yeah. and, and you find yourself, too, uh, I cut out a lot of things that uh, weren't so much technical, but... Uh, a thing that all writers, and I think especially novice writers, have to deal with is that you have a really cool story or a little vignette that you want to put in there that really hasn't have, doesn't have a damn thing to do with the book when you get right down to it, but you work out a way to contrive to put it in, okay? And, and you think it's just terrifically clever that you've got this in there, but to everybody else it stands out like a sore thumb. Well, what the hell has this got to do with anything, you know? And and there are a lot of those. I mean, I cut out probably a dozen of those. So oh. now, Bob, your your book is now also available in audio format. Uh, yep. Read by Todd Habercorn. Yep. Do you mind if I play a little short clip here from Audible? Oh, you know I won't mind. Well, there you go. <laughs> Let's do that then. Alex Kairos turned from the screen and swiveled in his chair to bend over his wastebasket, barely in time. He vomited as his nausea crested, then slumped head down and sobbing over the basket. A hand appeared, holding a tissue. Wipe your bloody face, Kairos, Bron said. Alex did as ordered. Bron continued. Mr. Farley, please be good enough to refocus our pupil on the task at hand. 
Alex tensed against the pain as he was jerked upright by his thick hair and spun around to once again face the computer screen. He closed his eyes to blot out the horrific sight and tried to put his hands to his ears to escape the tortured screams from the speakers, but Farley was quicker, grabbing his wrists from behind and forcing them down. Open your bloody eyes and cooperate, Kairos, said Bronn. Unless you want a ringside seat at a live performance. Alex looked not at the screen, but at Bronn. What do you want, if it's money? Bronn moved his face inches from Alex's. In due time, Carus, all in due time. Of course, that's a short scene from uh, Deadly Straits. Uh, and of course, did, did Todd Habercorn also do Deadly Coast? He did indeed. Fantastic. Uh, as long as he'll do them, he'll do all my books. I, I really, really like Todd. Well uh, read. He does a lot of great accents in that book. I can really, you know, differentiate which character is speaking, and that's very important just, for a single reader uh, audiobook. Just not to tell too many tales, I, I, I'm really new to audiobooks or books in general, as far as you know, from the writing side. But uh, I found Todd through ACX, which you may or may not be familiar with the audiobook creation exchange, and. Todd was actually the third guy uh, that, that I had an agreement with. And uh, the first, and, and I'm not going to name any names here, but the, but the first gentleman uh, took it. And about a week before it was due, uh, I was questioning him because I hadn't seen anything coming to approve. Right. And he admitted to me that uh, he hadn't started yet. <laughs> And, you know, we just had kind of an amicable parting of the ways, but the problem was that he was overwhelmed by the, the, the just huge cast of characters and all of the different accents. And the, another gentleman was trying his best, and he was doing a bit better than that, but he was kind of doing it at his kitchen table, and there was a lot of background noise, and yes. we couldn't get that together. And I found Todd, and by that time, I was really kind of gun-shy, so I said, look, you know, I'm going to give you a snippet of a dozen different characters and different accents, and that's way more than anybody ever auditions. But I really think that you need to understand the scope of it before you sign on. And he came back like 48 hours later, and he had about 30 minutes of audio with all of these different people and genders and nationalities, and he had nailed every single one of them. And I says, you're the man, you know. And, and, you know, the audio quality is phenomenal, of course. Uh, I mean, Audible does reject any, like you said, you know, audiobook readers that are reading at their kitchen table and you can hear background yeah. noise, you know, if there's too yeah. much hum on the line. So usually yeah. they only accept people who are using, you know, high-quality studio. Right. And it, it came out great. Todd, like, exactly like you said, great on the voices. I mean, I can tell which person is talking. That's really important. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, I, I see on yeah. the website, uh, Bob, we've gotten... We've, We've got the audio version. We've also got some foreign language translation. Sort of how involved were you? Sounds like you're pretty hands-on with the audio. So uh, how involved I, were you with all of that, that whole process? Uh, I'm pretty much a DIY guy from top to bottom. Uh, That's my, my late sister used to say if I needed brain surgery, she hoped it never happened because I'd try to figure out a way to do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, All you need is a spoon, by the way. All you need is a spoon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, no, just a couple of clamps and a laser, right? That's, 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 it, that's all. That's it. Huh. That's it. But uh, I, uh, I went out and I, I've got a, a German translation working, and that's through an Austrian publishing company. Uh, and that 
uh, that's probably going to be coming out in a couple of couple of months. Uh, but uh, I did this found the Spanish translator myself, and again I went through a couple and uh, and passed them along to my Spanish speaking friends, and and in 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 both cases uh, on the on the early attempts they said. Technically, this translation is great. I mean, what what it says in English, it says in Spanish, except it reads like a technical manual. He says there's no there's no nuance and there's no passion, and the and the idioms that are translated directly mean absolutely nothing in Spanish. Uh, so I was kind of despairing, and one of my ex colleagues who I worked on a shipbuilding project with. I happened to be talking to him, and he lives in Spain. He is a Spaniard, and he says, oh, my daughter is a translator. She's presently working at an uh, 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 advertising agency, but she's been trying to break into literary translation. So, you know, I was a little bit hesitant because if it didn't turn out right, now this guy's a friend, and you want to, don't want to tell him his daughter, you know, didn't like her translation. So I says, well... Let's try a trial. So she did about, you know, uh, a couple of chapters, and I sent it off to my Spanish-speaking friends, and they said, no, terrific. She's converted all the idioms that, you know, that it, yeah, it just mean, flows beautifully. Literary translation is one of the hardest type of translation you can do because sometimes you have to knock out, you know, five sentences and juxtapose a completely different right. Spanish the, the idiom mean, into that, you know, to, exactly. to make it sense. Yeah. And, 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 and the big bonus of it all was that, her father is a marine engineer, so when she came to the marine terms in Spanish, you know, that she didn't know what it was, she'd take it to him and he'd say, oh, well, that's so-and-so, you know, and so that, that turned out to be a big plus. Uh, so you could tour the boi boiler room for, you know, 20 chapters in Spanish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, put, put everything back in. Everything right. goes back in. <laughs> Except in Spanish, it'd be even 50% longer. <laughs> and then your wife said, no mas. No mas. No mas. No no <laughs> I, I think there's some great lessons here for other, as, as you put, I love the phrase DIY authors. Both, uh, I thought the cover uh, was terrific, and it you know, seems to have the same theme, both, you know, both novels. You can tell, same trade dress. You can tell they're in a series, and really nice covers, the audio quality. I mean, the fact that, as you said, uh, there must have been some... Um, uh, professional editing at some point, I, I imagine, okay. with 13 revisions and all of that, just all the... I, mean, I really appreciate the effort that you put in, because sometimes we see, you know, the this this type of, of debut or DIY novel that not... Yeah, that, I, that would have ended up with the 400,000-word first draft. Right. Well, my big thing was that my goal was that when I finished, that no one could pick up the book either in ebook or in print form or in audio form and say, well, this is a guy that did it itself. I mean, I wanted it to be, you know, equivalent to anything that you'd buy from a big five or big six absolutely, or four. How many, how many big publishers there are right. left? Soon only oh. one. <laughs> Getting, you know, we had one some mergers this I, week. I appreciate. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying we had some mergers this week, so we're getting closer oh. to where Disney's going to buy everything. Yeah, <laughs> everything will be part of the, the, uh, the kingdom. No, but I was saying that I really appreciate that you were involved that much in the creation of the audiobook. We, we had Jeff Gurner on not too long ago, and he was describing a different system. You know, it, basically, he, he got the script, and he did it, and he didn't get that much feedback. They just trusted that he would do it the way that he should do it. Uh, and, and to hear you 
describing how you actually had to go through multiple people, how you were able to give feedback, how you were able to say, I like this, I don't like this. Uh, I, I actually do kind of prefer that. I, I like to think that the author actually had input into how the audiobook version goes because when I'm listening to the audiobook version, it's actually really different than the way I'm, I'm reading it. When I'm sure reading it, is, it yeah. it's in my voice. I'm putting right. in all the characters. I'm setting the scene. When someone else is reading it, even if they're not adding any, anything to it, their voice and their intonation takes some of that away from me. Yeah. So I want to know that it's from the author, not yeah. from just the guy who's reading it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and I have to put in a little plug for, uh, for Todd here again, because, I mean, the guy has the patience of Job because, I, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I've done, you know, shipbuilding construction for 20 years. And, you know, there are probably three people in China that don't hate me, you know, I mean, because I've always, always been Mr. Quality Control. And, and, and I am a Nazi about it. I mean, you know, and if something wasn't quite right, you know, I'd say, Todd, OK, we're going to need to record this. And, you know, you didn't didn't quite get the pronunciation of folks all right or something, you know, and, and and he never once bitched. He never once, you know, I mean, and by the time we got to Deadly Coast, I mean, we were, we had we had a good working relationship and it was just clicking and it went very fast. But but Deadly Straits was was a trial because not only of the different accents, but all of the marine terminology and 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 marine words that are written are seldom pronounced like like they like they come out phonetically you know it's not bulwark it's bulk you know and things like that and, and you know and it's not boatswain it's bosun and things like that and, and you go ahead how did you say fo- like i always say i always have said fossil is is that not how i'm supposed to say it folksal 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 oh my gosh <laughs> but but, but it, and it depends on how you write it too. Sometimes you write it with the abbreviations, but it's also correct to write it forecastle, you know. And then when you write it, even when you write it forecastle, it's pronounced forecastle. So, but it is still the poop deck, <laughs> yes. No, that's that's the opposite. The forecastle is the forward, and the poop deck is the stern. Right, but the poop deck is still pronounced poop deck. Poop I didn't deck. get yep, that one. Yep, okay, got it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's not because they pooped there, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, so, Bob, are we going to be uh, looking forward to a third book in the series, or are you done with this story here? Uh, I actually never really intended for them to be two, but, uh, you know, people really like the first one, uh, and I've got, a, I've got a third one. I haven't, haven't named it yet, uh, but it's, it's also a Dugan story. Uh, Fantastic. And to be quite honest, my my original intention was to keep Dugan going, but not necessarily to put out Dugan story after Dugan story because I'm getting kind of tired of Dugan, quite frankly. Uh, and I'm also running out of things for him to do. Uh, <laughs> that's that's kind of a problem I have in that I have, you know, my threshold of believability when I'm reading is pretty high. I mean, it's different if I'm reading science fiction or fantasy, but if I'm reading a book or a story that takes place in the here or now, it has to make sense to me. And that's yes. my, you know, number one criteria for crafting the stories I do. And when you put in the believability factor, uh, it it actually makes it tougher to come up with more stories that have a marine background. I mean, as far as, you know, tankers and terrorism that wasn't a stretch because that's actually a 
really big concern. And the Somali pirates wasn't a stretch because I actually knew that happened. And, you know, our, our youngest son is going to see now, too. So I'm always keeping track of what's going on in the world, you know, that might affect sailors. Uh, but as we get further down the line in the Dugan, you know, series, if you will, it's going to be harder and harder to come up with things that satisfy me as to what the believability factor is. So, uh, yes, Dugan's going to continue, but I'm not sure that I can pump out a story a year on Dugan. It might be, you know, the next one, and then there'll be three of them. I'll do something else for a book or two. And then when something that I feel Dugan can realistically do comes back, then I'll, I'll put the story out. Bob, I think his, historically, when Dugan starts meeting up with aliens or traveling through time, that that <laughs> you might be have time gone. to pull the plug. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that's going to be a stretch. Hey, Bob, <laughs> where, where can people, folks find all these uh, wonderful realistic stories? Is there a website somewhere we can point sure, folks you in the direction? Uh, www.remcdermott.com. Uh, that's McDermott with two T's. Two T's, correct. <laughs> you going to stick around for the rest of the show, Bob? Sure, no problem. Fantastic. We're going to go for a little quick break, uh, and then we're going to come back and talk about this inanimate object here. Okay. <laughs> we're going to talk about Euclu. Really cool, very simple, but it still it blew my mind when I saw it. A very simple way to get your four-year or younger child reading. Great idea. We'll be back right after this break. <laughs> Hello, this is Brian Brushwood, host of Scam School, and I dreamed the dream of the perfect book show. And when I woke up, it was the book, guys. I love you. Why don't you call me anymore? And we're back, and of course, we haven't done this yet. What's on your... Your Kindle, your tablet, your iPad. What's on your... Your nightstand, your bookshelf. What are you reading? What's everyone reading? Hey, let's start off with our guest, Bob, the writer himself, Ari McDermott. Is there anything on your Kindle or on your nightstand or your bookshelf that you're reading right now? I just finished The Fall of Giants by Ken Follett, and I'm about halfway through uh, Winter of the World, the, the sequel to it, the second nice. book in the trilogy. What are your favorite type of books, Bob? Uh, my tastes are pretty eclectic. I mean, I, I read all over the place. I mean, I... I read the Hunger Game trilogies. Uh, I read pretty much anything that Lee Childs puts out. I like Bernard Cornwell, the historical uh, stuff. Uh, I started a series of books uh, by a fellow named Taylor Anderson. I don't know if you've heard of them, the Destroyer Man series, which is, a, which is kind of a sci-fi thing. It's a World War II old four-stacker destroyer. It gets kind of morphed over into a, to an alternate universe type thing, and, and he and his... Uh, he and his crew are fighting all sorts of denizens of that world, plus the Japanese that happen to get called, uh, you know, moved over with them. Uh, pretty, pretty interesting series of books. Uh, uh, hey, listen, like, Bob, I, I got to say on behalf of the book guys, put those books down, okay? And you get writing that third uh, book, all right? That's <laughs> <laughs> our priorities here, Bob. That's right. Well, you know. <laughs> hey, listen, Bob, we love eclectic taste, and that's all we're all about, really, here. 
And uh, yeah. now that I have your Skype address, I might be calling you once in a while on a Wednesday evening to... Okay, no problem. no problem, no <laughs> problem. Hey, uh, Professor Allen, what's on your comic book rack or nightstand? <laughs> well, you know, there are not a lot of good things about having eye surgery. It does, it does cut into the, the, the reading that one can do, but my friend and podcasts have come in very handy the last few weeks. So, of course, I knocked out Deadly Straits by R.E. McDermott a few weeks ago. During, during my, uh, my recovery period, also knocked out uh, The Devil's Company by David Liss. And I like, I like Liss. He does um, sort of a, it's, it's a combination of a business novel, which is my, my background in business and finance. So this has, it's a book about industrial espionage, a huge corporation trying to squash its competition. Uh, you know, sort of everything you would expect from a, a modern business novel that just takes place in 1722, <laughs> and the big evil company is the British East India Company. Okay. So it's a it's a historical with a business bent, very very enjoyable, uh, very enjoyable book. And I'm just getting started with uh, Patricia Cornwell, uh, the Bone Bed, her latest K. Scarpetta novel. Very nice, very nice. So that's what's been on my iPod. And and Padre, I know I, I do see the Pope signal in the sky. I know I know you've got to run, but before you go, Padre, what's on your Kindle nightstand, iPad, Android device? Well, of course, it's going to be on my Android device because it is the best way to consume media. But that's that's neither here nor there. I, I've got Deadly Straits. I'm running through it. It's it is it really is. I, I love the style, um, and you know, uh, again, I, I like the fact that. When I'm listening to it, I, I hear a little bit about the technology of shipbreaking, of shipbuilding, of of you know how you would actually run a ship. Uh, it, it's kind of it's kind of got me entranced. The other thing I'm reading is a nonfiction. It's a book by Terence McDonald called "The Smart Grid Imperative." It's all about how a smarter grid, a more intelligent grid, a grid that can actually be centrally managed in the United States, could increase efficiencies, could change the way that things are produced in the country. It, it's, a, it's a fascinating read about technology that I knew existed but did not know it could be applied in this way. Uh, and, you know, for a technologist like me, it, it's, it's just got me, uh, it's got me all a tittle, if that's really a word. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm still going through The Passage by Justin Cronin in Audible. It was like a 40-hour audiobook and haven't had much time, you know, recently. And uh, I'm getting to the end there and I got, I got to retract... Anything I said about zombies, the creatures, the, the infected in this book are so unique that uh, I'm going to tend more towards saying vampires. And I keep promising next week, next week, next week I'll talk about The Passage. Fantastic book. Can't wait to get to the sequel on that one. Uh, Padre, you do got to run, I understand. It's 8 o'clock and you're... I, I've got, yeah, I've got my Pope duties. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get right into our next segment. And, Padre, thank you for joining us. I did see you. By the way, Padre, I felt bad last week. You weren't here, and I made this hand motion at some point in the, in the show. Oh, I felt oh, really bad. Oh. And then I saw you do this on NSFW, and I felt just fine. No, no. See, mine was vertical. <laughs> yours was horizontal. Totally different. Totally different. I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, hey, oh, by the way, so same book time, same book channel? Same book time, same book channel. See you, Padre. It's a pleasure. Take care. Take care, buddy. Nice meet you. Bye-bye. Can you guess, Professor Allen, what time it is now? 
Um, no cheating. Look at the show notes. It's oh. <laughs> Rise of Ganza. Rise of Ganza. <laughs> I got the Rise of Ganza box right here. Fancy cardboard box made in the USA or Canada. I'm not sure. It's probably made in China. Uh, lots of stuff. We are adding more prizes this week. We have another entry we're going to play shortly. Tell you what we're adding this week. Again, from our good friends at Brilliance Audio. Memories of Ice by Steven Erickson. You're looking at 45 hours of audiobook goodness going into the prize aganza box. That Not could be a blessing that, or a curse, Paul. That could be. 45 <laughs> hours? That, that, that sounds like Bob McDermott's first draft. That's almost, yeah, that's, that's a Bob's first draft or Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> which I, the only way I could get through Alice Strug, by the way, was listening to Scott Brick read it. <laughs> Fantastic. And also, courtesy of Terry the Toy Guy, who's not here today, uh, and of course, our, uh, the good friends at Woodwick Candles, a fantastic, smells great candle, going in the mix, just because we had some ladies send some videos, we're throwing that in the mix, still got an electronic device we're going to put in. I'm going to be playing right now, as soon as I can sort out uh, the whole uh, audio issues here. We'll be playing the latest entry from Kayla from Toronto. My favorite book is Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. I love that this book isn't afraid to ask the big questions. You know, what does it mean to be human? How can humanity best take responsibility for their creations? The nerd in me also loves that it's a bit of a prophecy. Science and technology, they're progressing so quickly, it's not unfair to assume that at some point that advancement's going to be beyond our control. So... It's great. You'll love it. Go read it. And there you go. Frankenstein. Great book. Great book. Classic. And as soon as I saw the video, I looked over at Kevin, the King Lawler, and I said, you are not winning the... Welcome to (laughs) Prize of Genza! I'm going to take a quick moment here, gentlemen, to remind everybody that not only can you get Bob's books, just you can search for R.E. McDermott on Audible.com, but you can get it for free. Don't worry, Bob. You're still going to get paid. The way okay. it works is you go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys, and you can get a 30-day free trial. Try them out. Get one of Bob's books. You can get any book we've talked about really tonight, and uh, try it out. Try it on your Kindle, on your Android, on your iPhone, on your computer, PC, Mac. They can play it anywhere pretty much. And... Uh, 30 days, free. Give them a try. And you know what? It's really not that expensive. Uh, I kind of cheat every month because I get usually the 30, 40 hour, you know, the epics. <laughs> so I get my, you know, I get my 50 cents an hour. You know, that's what it costs me. And, and it's great entertainment while you're doing household chores. Where do you listen, uh, Professor? I listen just about everywhere. Um, I've been, I've been uh, wearing headphones for about as long as I can remember, uh, from uh, 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 I, 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 when, my, when my wife met me, I was wearing those big, it was in college, those big headphones, <laughs> the ones that had, it was the, the yes. dial, I could, on one ear I could, I could change the radio station, and on the other, the other ear I could, I could adjust the volume, so she sort of knew what she was in for. <laughs> so I listened to them, I listened to them, uh, uh, audio books and podcasts, just about everywhere except when I'm actually teaching a class. But <laughs> well, in my office, going to and from work, at home, 
wear grading papers, there's always some audio of some kind going on. Well, I look at it this way. Some people are commuting to work and they're in a bad you know, mood. They're swearing out the window. Me, I'm on a ship that just got taken over by Somalian pirates. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> you mean you, you're, I think Sir Jimmy said a couple weeks ago, you, you sometimes find yourself taking the long way home mm-hmm. just yeah. so you can get through that chapter. It's exactly. fantastic. AudibleTrial.com slash book guys. We use it uh, pretty much any sponsor we talk about. We use and enjoy ourselves. Otherwise, we wouldn't talk about it. Just saying. Uh, guys, I'm going to show you a really cool thing. We've never actually done, I don't think, uh, Professor Allen, remind me, have we ever done like a board game on the Book Guys show? I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so either. This kind of cool. It's called Uclue. This lady uh, was on the Dragon's Den, which is a show uh, in the United States, Canada, and the UK. There's all kinds of versions of that show. A little note from her here that comes in the box there. She says, her name is Doreen Dotto, by the way. She says, I created Uclue for my eldest son, Max, when he was in grade two and struggling with reading, as many, you know, second graders do. Max always loved being read to, like, you know, listening to Audible. But when it came time for his reading homework, he would literally hide. Uh, I knew I had to get creative. <laughs> yeah. And he, she came up with this game. And in a, in a very short time, Max was laughing and learning he so enjoyed running around the house that he started building his reading skills. And I, I'm just going to cut that off there. I'll, I'll show you how easy this is. Really cool. There's three levels in this book, in this uh, board game. It's, it's just cards. It's just cards. So yellow is level one. I'll set those aside. So let's say you're starting at level one. These are some of the things the cards say. Look under the couch. This one says, look beside the clock. Look beside the dryer, etc., etc. Look in your sock. So what you do is before you start playing the game with your kid is you take these and you hide them in order. So you would take the look in your sock one and put that, let's say, beside the dryer. And beside the dryer you would put look beside the dryer. Look beside the clock. So you kind of make a chain of these cards. So the kid has to... Before he can get to the, looking at the, for the dryer, he has to look in the sock. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, a treasure hunt throughout the house until they get to the final one. And she, she provides you these surprise cards, which is the end game, which is a surprise. You can write on the back end, like, you know, hey, we're going for ice cream this afternoon. Or you could just, instead of using one of these surprise cards, you just put a you know, dollar store toy there. And the kids get so into it that they quickly learn what look under the mat means. If, if your child is lost, even at, at level one, she does provide, there's a, I can't find it now, but there's also a, a giant um, guide with pictures that helps as well. And then you move all the way up to level three, where it's something like, search behind the clock and the bed table. This is genius. I mean, this gets kids running around the house. First of all, the kids are busy for half an hour <laughs> hunting through the dryer and the sock drawer. This is great. You That's know, what we call in the parenting business a win-win scenario. Yeah. That's right. Brilliant idea. And she's working on another thing, a, a sequel to this, and it's Uclue. And we're going to try to have Doreen on the show soon. And uh, I think it's a great idea. Uclue. U-K-L-O-O. I'll post a link on the screen. It should be like somewhere over here right now. 
Hey guys, I want to thank Bob. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your thank time you for today. Having me. Thank you, Professor Allen. The Good Padres to be here. are the Padres are riding as Pope Mobile on his way. He saw the Pope signal, you know. <laughs> this is the time we say goodbye and adieu. And we'll be back next week, same book time, same book channel. We've got Selena Kappa coming on the show. Thanks for joining us, Bob. Thank you, Professor Allen. That's Thank it. You. That's how easy that is. Okay. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Book Guide Show will return next week. Same book time, same book channel.